Cheers is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. That was good, but this is where nobody knows your name. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name. I'm Barry, and I'm joined by James. Hello. Today's episode is Series 7, Episode 19. And what's this episode called, James? It's The Gift of the Woody, and it's based on The Gift of the Maggie or Magi by O. Henry. Uh, you ever read any O. Henry? No, no, uh, not on my radar. It's the one where a couple spend all their earnings to buy a gift for the other, and then it turns out that the uh, gift is useless because the thing which the gift accompanies was uh, spent in order to get a gift for the other person. Huh. It's one of life's bitter ironies. <laughs> yes. Like a Hansel and Gretel style tale. Yeah, and he does a lot of short stories. So I've got a big old book of O. Henry's short stories. I think there's a hundred of them in uh, in the book I've got. And it's from 1946 or 1947, that book. I love a good short story. Yeah. This episode aired on April 6th, 1989. It was directed by James Burroughs and written by Fief Sutton. And uh, that irony of gifts does play into this episode, so I thought it was a good episode title. Well named. Absolutely agree. Yeah. How does it open, James? What's our cold open this week? Our cold open is Cliff is angry at the government. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For the oddest reason. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, basically he wants to patent a new vegetable, which... Okay, Cliff, just sure. Um, I was intrigued. They actually have a prop for this vegetable, which looked very genuine. They all judge him in this episode. um, And I'd be like, I'll give it. Because he's he's got recipes for it. And I'm I'm like, I'll give it a go. Why not? Yeah, it looks interesting. I didn't know what um, rutabaga was. That's not a a UK word. We say Swede. Swede. I like Swedes. Yeah, I I like Swedes. I like it. I like to put a Swede in a, a casserole. They're a tricky bugger to cut a Swede. Oh, uh, it's like sweet potatoes. Jesus. I was making a, going to make a sweet potato soup, and uh, I was struggling with cutting up that sweet potato, and I looked like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, just <laughs> <laughs> going at it with, with a big old kitchen knife. Yeah, no, the housemates at the time gave me a wide berth. <laughs> Oh, I'm not surprised. And you've recently moved out as well. Is that are they yep. connected? Uh, no, no. Okay, good. Uh, as long <laughs> as sweet potato isn't a metaphor for <laughs> some sort of dark act that yeah that took place, it is not. Well, that's reassuring to hear, James. Yeah. But luckily, we're we're conducting this over the internet, so I'm not within arm's <laughs> reach of you or knife's reach of you. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Cliff has a has a beetabaga, which is a. Uh, beetroot and a rutabaga and he wants the gang at Cheers to sign an affidavit stating that he is the true inventor. Affidavit is a word I've heard a lot recently so that sounds like I've been in legal trouble. I've been watching (laughs) a lot of legal dramas uh, and hence the word affidavit has come up quite often. And I know what it means but what does it mean? It's basically a signed document as to what your testimony is. Yes. Um, but what does the, where's the term come from? Oh, you want to know the etymology of affidavit? Mm. 
It comes from medieval Latin. It literally, uh, he has stated on oath from Aphidare. Mm, okay. <laughs> so nothing to do with anyone called David. Then. No, it ends with a T. Ah, a very poor spelling of David. Okay, well, I've learned something. Thank you, James. That was a uh, a reasonably tasty fact. So I am you know, I'm the Richard Osman of this show. It seems. <laughs> oh, that's, a very... well, that, that's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting sentence. Care to tell me more? <laughs> <laughs> For any American listeners, Richard Osman is a presenter uh, who. He's a man behind the desk. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a backup to our to the main host. Uh, who just explains the answers to things in an amusing way, usually. But he's very fortunate to have a laptop live on TV to get the answers. Yeah. We, we, we should go back to Cliff's vegetable. So he's created this thing, um, and the bar isn't very interested, really, uh, and in fact tells him to back down and stop being so paranoid. Yeah, Norm says to Cliff... Remember when uh, you asked me to tell you if you were going off the deep end? Yeah. Well, don't come up too fast, buddy. You'll get the bends. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I usually go along with you, but, uh... I am really on to something. Flippy, does this sound familiar? Me, 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 me. Oddly, this is one of the few cold opens that's actually referred to again later in the episode. Yeah, because the cold opens are one of two things. They're either a scene at the start of the episode, which they have deliberately made quite short because they know they have to put in the title sequence somewhere, or the episode itself, almost the length it needs to be, so they put in a quick scene at the start, which has little relevance to anything else. Usually it's just an excuse to get a quick gag in, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, And actually, it's a good thing because it's a nice, it, it almost, it's a step in, it gets you into the mood quickly. Um, and actually, uh, setting up an episode is a harder thing to immediately be funny and get you into the spirit. It is. And the Seinfeld cold opens are not controversial, but people have opinions on them, where the cold opens in Seinfeld are Jerry's stand-up routine, which are often vaguely related to the episode, but mm. just thematically. Often, not very funny. Um, <laughs> but one thing I heard about them which, if true, is impressive, is that the theme tune, you know, with the slap bass, was altered to match the rhythm of Jerry's joke. Oh, wow. Which, if true, is impressive. Has anyone checked? No, not that (laughs) I know, but I think it was something that Larry David claimed. But Larry David is such a sardonic sense of humour that he could have just been going, yeah, no, we edited the music, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, uh, I shall take your word for that one. I'm, I'm intrigued. Seinfeld isn't really on my radar. So uh, in this episode, uh, we begin with uh, Woody is dressed up nice and smart um, because he's going to meet his girlfriend's dad, or he, at least he's, he wants to impress the girlfriend's dad. There's a, a little aside where Sam offers to do his hair and uh, brings up his huge hairdressing kit from behind the bar. Um, And actually, Woody is beginning to look more and more like Sam (laughs) in terms of style and hair and all the rest of it, which may be a deliberate nod to Sam being a role model of sorts. 
or it might just be the hair of the time. I think it's partly Sam being a role model, but also whether it was the hair as an overall style of the 80s or whether it was that Ted Danson was seen as the, the, the heartthrob of the time and therefore people were emulating him or whether it's just, as we've seen, becoming the new Sam in certain ways. Or oh, it's got layers, Barry. Oh, Woody's becoming the new Sam. Yeah, it's got layers like a tiramisu. <laughs> yeah. Well, Woody's girlfriend, Kelly, her dad, Mr. Gaines, is that Mr. right? Mr. Gaines, yes. Yeah, which is a an in-joke, I imagine, due to his wealth. He comes down from the restaurant above. He wants to get to know Woody better in order to, uh, and this is a quote, uh, see what the attraction is for his daughter. I mean, I assume that's something which every father has regarding their daughter. They always want to assess the mm. boyfriend, don't they? They always want to make sure that they're suitable because Kelly's previous boyfriend, I've forgotten his name, it was typical jock name, was affluent and in that same kind of high society. Mm. Chad, perhaps? Chad or Buzz or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But there was a definite tone to his voice uh, suggesting that he doesn't think that Woody is worthwhile, probably because he's tending bar and not on some sort of... Yacht. Yeah, <laughs> on some sort of yacht. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Woody is going to go to this birthday party, but doesn't have a gift. Yeah. Or rather, he does have a gift, but not the sort of gift that the rest of the bar think is worthwhile for such a rich girl. Oh, it's a joke book, isn't it? And they're like, no, Woody, you have to put some effort in because all the other people there, they will be getting her very expensive gifts. They seem to forget that Woody cannot afford very expensive gifts. Yes. And this episode explores that in quite a lot of detail later on. I am not a rich man, so I would, you know, craft something. I'm decent at, at drawing. You've seen, this is the issue. I'm decent at drawing but only of 70s musicians. Well, I'm hoping, James, that when you find the perfect one, uh, that person will also be a huge fan of 70s musicians. (laughs) Oh, Alice Cooper, Cat Stevens, Dolly Parton. Oh, all great. Yeah, ask you to draw a person present day and I can't can't compute, Barry. (laughs) No, I know. Uh, And I love that your skill set is able to do one thing very well and that somehow not lend your talents to the same thing <laughs> like, when the person well, changes. One time I was just doing a doodle, and after about half an hour, I showed it to someone, and went, here you go. They were, they were amazed of, of my drawing of Alice Cooper, and they went, oh, can, can you draw this one? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very niche. Well, yes, I'm sure, I'm sure your true love will be a huge fan of 70s. Uh... Once drew a stamp-sized picture of Chris Christopherson. <laughs> <laughs> that truly is niche <laughs> anyway uh we'll get on to it but he i think realizes he has to do something similar yes which is sweet and we'll see that woody shows a lot of sweetness in this episode um it as a there's a side story running through this episode as well where rebecca realizes she's she's too sexy she's too hot for work yeah But there's also, I mean, the question over this episode and actually over Rebecca as a whole is that she's constantly striving to be something more at work and actually is never given the time or 
seriousness in, in work from her colleagues and probably because she's a woman working for an old boys club. Yeah, that's probably what the reason is. Is Probably is regardless of what she did, will always be in this position. But she's convinced that, uh, in her words, she's too sexy. And so she turns to the polar opposite in the bar, uh, Lilith, and asks for some uh, makeover tips. Because Lilith is very... I wouldn't necessarily say she's corporately dressed. She's dressed... Sternly. Sternly, yes. To be fair, she's quite monochrome in a lot of her outfits, but never to the point of looking like a sort of a dowdy, stuffy school teacher. She actually clearly has some style, but it's just very much her own sort of business-like, monochromatic, rigid. But she can, but she can turn her looks on, on, a, on a dime, Barry. Yes. Yeah, we've seen her let her hair down in a previous episode. But anyway, Rebecca decides that she can get some tips for a bit becoming more of a, a woman of power. And so Lilith agrees, and I think he's quite pleased with the opportunity. Appear uh, more corporate, more business-like. Mm. And I think there's a, a suggestion that she's also becoming going to get a bit more authoritative and be able to stand up for herself a bit more as well. Yeah, and I think that has certainly been a hindrance to her in the past, is that she has been quite subservient. So Woody's initial idea for a gift... The Gift of Laughter, uh, and he has a uh, a book of Dutch humour that he wants to present. And Carla says, you present that to her and they'll all laugh in your face. Uh, to which Woody replies, that's kind of the idea, Carla. That's a, that's a, it's a Bob Monkhouse joke, isn't it? Is it? They laughed when I said I wanted to be a comedian. Who's laughing now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Bob Monkhouse. He's great, isn't he? I do love one-liner jokes, uh, or at least silly, short jokes like that. There is an art in in the one-liner because all humour derives from a combination of familiarity and surprise. Mm. And the combination therein, and the familiarity can, when it's to do with puns, it's phonetically what's familiar, surprise is the subversion thereof, or whether when you get into the more risky or some would say edgy comedians it's the familiarity of social norms and the surprise when someone is in inverted quotes challenging them yes and actually a lot of those controversial jokes are only controversial because certain words are mentioned in the jokes but actually the controversy is kind of irrelevant the joke is about the subversion it's about you could replace the words of the joke with something very innocent and the joke would essentially still work. Although obviously it requires that subject matter. You'd have to be clever to figure it out. But yeah, it is about, oh, I'm expecting this. Oh, look what they've done. Or, uh-oh, they're going to say something horrible. And then, oh, okay, I kind of see where they've gone with that. I was expecting the horrible thing, but you've subverted what I was thinking. Take someone to the edge of their comfort zone and then bring them back safely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The Dutch book of humour makes its last appearance here because it isn't the gift that's presented later. But they think that the dad wants to humiliate Woody by putting him in a situation where he simply can't compete with the other presents on show and therefore will be sort of out the door because he'll be embarrassed. Fraser suggests he tries a gift from the heart. 
and he recounts a poem that he once uh, said to Lilith. Can't tell you actually what to do, of course, but I can relate a story from my own experience. I remember when I was courting a certain beauty, I wrote her a poem. Of course, it was no great piece of literature, but it did express my feelings, honestly. I recall reciting the last lines while we were sitting in front of the fire, basking in our love. Your lips are the flame that consumes me and the candle that lights my way. Fraser, love? Yes, dearest. I've never heard that drivel before in my life. I wonder whose lips those were. Pours a drink <laughs> into his lap and, and uh, walks off. We've seen more and more recently that Fraser and Lilith's recollection of each other's actions is particularly poor. Yeah, they still seem to love each other. I hesitated because the word I was going to say was tolerate. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's a passion. There's a. I, I imagine they build each other up to excruciating levels of irritation and then release uh, through passion. First, let's say at the party, there are numerous gifts she gets. Like she opens up a little case and they were like, and she's like, wow, this is lovely. Is this it? And they go, open it and go, wow, a new Mercedes. <laughs> How many Mercedes do you need? Yeah, and she's, she, she's very excited by this. I remember seeing an episode of, it was like a spoiled rich kids episode, a very sort of trashy show. It's an American show about rich families and their sort of late teenagers and their rich lifestyles. And one of these girls is given a Porsche or something and she throws a strop because it's the wrong colour. There's an interesting bit later in the episode where Sam actually shows a fair bit of wisdom in suggesting that this person probably doesn't know any different, has always existed in this world. And what seems like a a huge strop to us, although totally unforgivable, wouldn't look so ridiculous if that was the wrong flavour chocolate or, or something like that. Um, it was just looking grateful. and But it's the scale of it because the amount of money involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't get it. it. Even if it was the wrong flavour chocolate, I'll still eat the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's because you and I are civilised and pleasant individuals. I was brought up, particularly in regards to food, which should be of no surprise to either Barry or listeners by now after probably getting close to 70 hours of this podcast now. I like many of food. I was brought up to eat what's in front of you. And unless you have a reaction, like you're allergic to something, like recently, I found out I'm allergic to some red wines. Probably. I just drink other wine. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, unless you have a reaction to something, I was brought up to just, just consume, you know? <laughs> I think that you should uh, at least allow your taste buds to have a say in what's going in. True, but... Are you trying to say that you would eat what was put in front of you and be polite about the whole thing, rather than just the eater of worlds, consuming everything <laughs> in your path? Well, that too, but mostly <laughs> the first thing. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you. It, it's it's polite to accept the thing that's put in front of you, unless it's to your detriment. Like if someone went, do you, do you want a bottle of Merlot? And I'm just there <laughs> blind, like, no, it's fine. Uh. <laughs> there is a, an element of that that isn't helpful, though, which is a lot of older families, particularly when so they've been through rationing or lack of money. My dad's side of the family, you know, a history of 
coal miners and things like that. And the takeaway is, takeaway is probably a bad word there, they tend to eat everything that's on the plate because you didn't know when the next meal was coming. But that has now been passed down without a need. So my family still will eat everything that's put in front of them, but to excess. Um, so well, That's actually, portion control, isn't it? It is, yeah. But the, the two have become mixed, whereby you now have the option to have bigger portions, but you still have this need to finish off and not waste. So, yeah, I, I'm fighting that in myself because... I wouldn't say I'm fighting it. I've just got to the age now where it quickly becomes apparent what eating everything on the plate will do to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, I look forward to you hitting those middle-aged challenges, James. <laughs> oh, it's started. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we're at the birthday party. There is a lot of excess being thrown at Kelly, and even the, to the point where the dad says, let's all go outside and look at all of Kelly's cars that she's got today. <laughs> so Woody is next, and Kelly is the one who interrupts everyone says, look, Woody's got me a gift. And Woody writes her a song, which is simplistic but lovely. And, and actually, surprisingly, Woody Harrelson plays the piano, plays this song. He plays and sings it, but also, you say it's simplistic, it reminds me of some Beatles work. Mm, yeah. I, I, I guess the, the simplicity is repeating chorus line, which is played upon a little bit. Kelly, my darling, you are my sunshine. When we're together, I feel fine. Your smile is so lovely, your hair is so clean. You make me feel that the whole world is mine. Kelly, 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 Kelly. Because you're Kelly, 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 Kelly of mine. Mine, 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 beautiful it's lovely it's a, a really genuine heartfelt moment and in any other setting would be met with you know oohs and ahs and isn't this wonderful but here and actually this is where it, this episode becomes a bit ugly um is kelly's foot responses that's lovely and wonderful where's my gift there we have words for people like kelly we do and, ungrateful uh, yes so woody I think he runs away, doesn't he, at this point? We didn't see the audience. We heard the audience give raucous applause. I would think there'd be some giving a standing ovation. Mm. Because I th I think it deserved it, you know. I would have, if not stood up, elevated slightly from my seat. Yeah, he's demonstrated not only an ability to play, but he's acting mm -hmm. as Woody whilst mm -hmm. playing the piano well and not looking at the piano either he's he's looking at her and singing to her yeah it's 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 surprising 
It's genuinely impressive. A lot of people thought, for some reason, that Woody Harrelson sung the Cheers theme, despite the fact he didn't join Cheers until a few years after (laughs) Cheers started. It's a similar pitch, um, but I'd say the cadence is different. Yeah, and Woody didn't strike me as the best singer. He had heart and character, but I don't think... It, it, he, you're going to correct me now and say he sings in a band, aren't you? No, I was gonna. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say it's the difference between the Beatles version of "A Little Help from My Friends" and the Joe Cocker version, hmm. where the Joe Cocker version feels a lot more heartfelt. It does, yeah, um, and it's got a grit to it as well, and that's down to his voice and also the soul of the backing singers as well. Yeah, yeah, great song. He just did a better job. Whereas the Beatles one is like, oh, aren't we having a lovely day at the park? (laughs) (laughs) So Woody runs away and we're back at the bar. Uh, It's a lovely little joke here as well, where Woody is drowning his sorrows in a beer. (laughs) Woody, I think you ought to lay off. How how many have you had? Eleven. Eleven beers? Eleven sips. (laughs) Well, that... That's plenty, Woody. You know, booze is no way to handle any problems. Shall we talk about the critical reception to this episode? Because it's one of the few Cheers episodes which has its own Wikipedia article. Ooh. And you get a glimpse into how we do our research there. There's not much effort involved. But, <laughs> um, but, but we do collate what people have said. Go on, James. David Hofstetter states in his book 5,000 Episodes and No Commercials that the Kelly song is one of this series' great moments. And I think, judging from the uh, the audience's applause, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, there's more. Andy Green of Rolling Stone magazine said it's stuck in the mind of many fans. I'd agree. And we'd see uh, how the song featured in other cultural elements, just how true he was. Joseph J. and Kate Dorovsky, in their 29 book Cheers, A Cultural History, rated the episode all four stars citing B.B. Newitt's fantastic performance in the episode as the main reason for the rating. They did criticise the makeover subplot, this and abnormal psychology should be highlighted because of how they featured unfortunate television and cultural ideas around around women. Yeah, well, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Season but, four. But yeah, that's the, that's the one where she lets her hair down at the end yeah. in the episode. Exactly. And if you want to hear a more grungy slash metal version of the Kelly song, then listen to Smudge's cover on their 93 album, Manilow. There's a lot about that going on, which is, it, I'm as confused as you are when I heard an album called Manilow. I was like, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it's just an angry cover of the Kelly song. Woody Harrelson himself sang the song outside the California Film Institute in October 2009 and at the Ringling College of Art and Design in January 2018. Uh, wow. the, the Roots performed it when Kelly Ripper was a guest on Jimmy Fallon. That's impressive that it's stood the test of time to the point where it's still recognisable for Woody Harrison to perform it, those things. It is. And in the novel, High Fidelity, Rob, the protagonist, and I think you've either read or seen High Fidelity. I think I might have done both, actually. Yeah. I've I've done both also. It's been a long time since I've read the book, but I've seen the I've seen the TV show recently where mm. Zoe Kravitz plays Rob. 
and they gender flipped all of the characters and it works quite well. And do you think that's a good sort of commentary on how society is changing, that that's possible? Or do you think it's something that could have been possible always? I think it does reflect, and we mentioned this in the previous episode, how those gender norms, particularly in dating, can be interchangeable. Mm. They updated it quite well for the TV series. Annoyingly, it only lasted uh, one one season before it got cancelled, but they did a good job in hitting the main plot points of, of the novel. Yeah. Uh, but in the novel, High Fidelity, Rob chooses this episode as one of his top five Cheers episodes. The rest were number four, uh, season six, episode two, Ion Sports. Uh, number three was season seven, episode 17, Hot Rocks. Uh, number two, season five, episode 21, Simon Says. And number one, season four, episode four, The Groom War Clearasil. Facts. <laughs> a lovely rundown. Thank you, James. But I'm, I'm amazed that that has hit such a high in sort of a, as a cultural reference. Yeah, kudos to the writers and to Woody Harrelson for performing it. As we said, he's, he's drowning his sorrows at Cheers. And this is where Kelly comes to look for him. Yes. And she still doesn't understand. She still expects a gift. But Woody is very honest with her and says he works because he has to work because she expects him to leave with her at that point. And she thinks that's cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when she leaves, he, he tells her, and actually I was really impressed at this point with Woody. He says, no, we're not compatible. You'll have to go. Uh, when she leaves, Sam is the one who, like I said earlier, is surprisingly understanding. For such a womanizer, you'd think his first instinct would be to next uh, rather than show any uh, sense of trying to understand. But he suggests that Kelly doesn't know any better because she's always been rich, which is probably true. But I don't think it's a good sign in terms of a partnership. He says, you know, she doesn't know better because she's always been rich. And I'm glad you didn't go and spend all your money on this. And then Woody goes on immediately does that. Yes. The suggestible Woody. We shall come to that in a moment. So we, we, we come back to two of our other running stories. The the rare callback to uh, the cold open. Um, Cliff comes back uh, into the bar, having come off the phone to, he's trying to get interest in his Beta Vega product. They're not biting. And he's got a, <laughs> he, um, he's got a, a range of products. And there's a really odd character in this scene. They've just introduced this delusional oddity uh, sitting at the bar who loves the taste of these things, but also claims to be uh, various things like an astronaut. It ranges from things which are plausible to the just physically absurd. Yeah. So plausible in the sense, and plausible also beneficial towards these this product by saying he's got a qualification in horticulture and he's essentially trained as a chef but then it becomes more and more fantastical as he's a, a astronaut queen of france yeah and then at one point claims he's a coastline yeah with a lovely view <laughs> <laughs> yeah very odd but uh, yeah do we ever see have we seen that character before nope no? and i imagine we'll never see him again either frazier just goes uh, okay, the, the men in the white suits will be here soon. For such a side 
gag in the episode to, to hire a whole new actor <laughs> just to carry off that line. Um, they put a lot into this one. And again, that's the end of that gag as well, isn't it? The product doesn't get taken up. Which is a shame because he comes up with like, um, be the beggar for he in a pita. I'm like, ooh, yeah. why not? Nice sounding products. I'd give them a go. In fact, these days, that's probably, you know, he could probably open a whole new artisan cafe. It was ahead of his time. Yeah. Beetroot cakes are all the rage now. and He made a Gen Z product in 1989 is what he did. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Cliff is being realised for the uh, true pioneer that he always I was. Mean, that's what it was. It isn't the whole entrepreneurial mindset described or attributed to the, the mindset of the crazy ones. Hmm. You know, that was how, was it Apple who originally used that what phrase? Dare to dream. Um, and there was a, to do with advertising, and one of Robin Williams' last roles was in a sitcom entitled The Crazy Ones, where him and his daughter, played by Sarah Michelle Geller, were the head of a advertising and marketing team. So I think, you know, in order to be innovative and an entrepreneur, you need a little bit of crazy. Yeah, you certainly have to think outside the box, as they say. Because if it hasn't been invented, no one knows if it's going to work yet. So that's the end of Cliff's little endeavour, at least in terms of what we see of it. We also have Lilith has dressed Rebecca up like her. She's created a double of herself. My God, there's two of them. Those two are off now to the meeting with the business troupe upstairs. And they come running back downstairs. Rebecca is upset. And Lilith has... They've attempted to hire Lilith as the uh... CEO or something. What I find interesting is that Kirstie Alley herself, she probably became well-known after playing a very business, for lack of a better word, bland character in, in Lieutenant Savick in Wrath of Khan. It's interesting to see Kirstie Alley, Rebecca obviously being very different from, from her Vulcan character, but again imbuing those characteristics literally even says you have too much intonation in your voice yes she's um you feel like rebecca is much more kirsty than those other characters were and she's able to put more of her personality into it whereas if this were acting roles yeah and i think certainly as cheers went on i think the actors did put some of their own personality into their characters mandy ingress said ray opponent is nothing like carla and i believe her but I'd be surprised if after 11 years on the air, Rhea wasn't able to influence the character in some way. Yeah. Um, well, even if it was just to do with the mothering aspect, because the reason Carla is pregnant in a few of the early seasons is because Rhea Pullman was pregnant at that time. Yeah. We now come to the end of the episode. Woody's gone to Kelly in order to give her a very expensive, I believe it's a set of earrings. It's a, it's a pendant. I, I was wrong. Um, but uh, the pendant doesn't have the chain because Woody couldn't afford it. Yeah. And uh, Kelly says, oh, let's go and buy it then. You can just get money out of your cash point. And he has to explain in some detail that no, he doesn't have that money. And she finally comes to that realisation. And he says that the only the best gift he's got is to say, I love you. I think at that point, she realizes just how special that is and then says that now she's not going to get him a Porsche for his birthday because she can just say, I love you back. <laughs> He's hugging her and you just see him hugging her tighter and his eyes are aflame. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for Woody. And, and, and actually, 
I liked that he gave up that relationship. It's no good for him. I mean, this might become different in later episodes, but certainly at the moment, he's in a world that doesn't understand him and that he doesn't understand. He'd rather live in her world than be without her in his. Yes, yeah. And which is a shame because, and this may change, but their rich views demonstrating here, although for, you know, artistic effect in the episode, were so out of touch and, what's the word, uncompassionate that it made me instantly dislike every one of them, including her. I have a fundamental distrust for people who have so much wealth it affects how they speak. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than that minefield. Let's talk about the cast. Uh, We've got Jackie Swanson as Kelly Gaines, Bruce French as John. He also appeared in Helter Skelter, uh, Waiting for Godot, The Waltons, Roots, The Next Generations, Soap, Dallas, Family Ties, Fame, Christine, Magnum P.I., The A-Team, Hill Street Blues, Newhart, Wildcats, L.A. Law, Moonlighting, 21 Jump Street, Night Court, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Picket Fences, The Outer Limits, Coach, Jurassic Park 3, Ali McBeal, The West Wing, Jag, House, NCIS, Mad Men, Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy, and many more. Richard Doyle as Walter Gaines. Vaughn Armstrong as Uncle Val. He previously appeared as Mr. Osborne in Season 7, Episode 13, Golden Boyd. Philip Fulman and Al Rosen are Phil and Al, both uncredited. William Winkler is uncredited as Party Guest. He also appeared in Remington Steel, General Hospital, Knight Rider, Fame, Who's the Boss, Pretty in Pink, The Fall Guy, The Paper Chase, Private Eye, Mr. Belvedere, Murder, She Wrote, Doogie Howser, MD, Matlock, and Quantum Leap. Since 1992, he has been involved in the directing and dubbing of Japanese animations for American television, including the Guy King, Fist of the North Star, and Ultraman franchises. That's your cast. So that's how the episode ends. That's who our cast are. I guess all we have to wait for now is trivia. There it is. Thank you. As usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. Cliff's Betabega products. What has he created for the bar staff to try? Beetabaga cookies or biscuit of some kind. A brittle. Brittle, yeah. And for a taste of Cairo, you beat a bigger feed in a pita. Yeah. And there is one more as well. Beetabaga, something beginning with B. Yeah. <laughs> Burritos. Burritos, that's what it is. Which all sound lovely. Nom, 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 nom. Who wrote, and this book does not exist in real life, but who wrote the really big book of Dutch humour? Oh, no, there's a question. Um, I don't know. Hans Adlen. I would think it would have been funny if they made a pun on a Dutch name. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Because it's a made-up book. They've made the cover. Didn't come up with a funny Dutch name. Mm. Like, I don't know. Something like Guten Pun. It's Danish, but Mars Tickelsen, as in tickled. Yeah, yeah, very good. Oh, well, maybe our uh, listeners can come up with a few more. Could you tell me the poem that Frasier recites for Lilith, or not, as the case may be? It's something to do with um, 
how the, the fire is like the heart and the passion and the embers. Something, it's something, though, that's the imagery that it conjures. Yeah. So he quoted it in front of the fireplace. Um, and the line is, Your lips are the flames that consume me and the candle that lights my way. Oh. A similar thing. There's a haiku from it, the Stephen King book. Your hair is winter fires, January embers, my heart burns there too. Oh, that's very sweet. My friend wrote a haiku and won a competition with it uh, years ago. And his, it was something like that. I may, may not get the haiku form perfectly right. It was something like, pens and pencils, even travelling at light speed, are still stationary. <laughs> oh, that is... That's a clever one. That's good, isn't it? How many different outfit combinations does Norm own? Oh, three suits, five ties. Yep, 15. Quick maths. And one more question. There's a professional wrestler whose ring name was inspired by this episode. Which wrestler is this? Oh, I don't know. It's Kelly Kelly. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't know that person existed, but I understand the reference. Well then, James, that brings us to drinks time. Last calls at the bar. What do we drink today? I've looked up uh, if I can find a a beetroot and swede cocktail. It doesn't exist, but maybe we could settle for some of Cliff's Beta Fajita de Pita uh, alongside as a snack. What drink should we have that with? Isn't a blue swede a type of drink? Maybe it is. There's also Insurrection, which is a beetroot, blackcurrant, and honey cocktail. Wow. Which sounds nice. There is also a millionaire, which is a cocktail. Now, we could uh, jump in with Kelly's family and become millionaires for the day with our burrito and cocktail. I think so. I think we'll rock up with, uh, <laughs> with the Beta Vega burrito and be like, yes, yes, yes. No, pass me, an- pass me another, not travelling tapas. Jesus, what's it called? <laughs> <laughs> Canapé? Canapé. <laughs> Travelling tapas. Tapas on the move. Lovely. Oh, that sounds splendid, James. It does. We'll be there and you'll be there. I'll be there. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.